My name is Bea Gonzalez, and I am a writer of mostly novels. And I'm Jay Rettelsberger, a singer-songwriter. We began a conversation on Twitter some time ago about Carl Jung, art, and the creative process, and we decided to share our discussion with all of you. Okay, so the thing that I thought would be good to talk about is something that I've been thinking about for a while, that there's, for me, there's kind of a confusion around the word spirituality. I, I hear it used a lot. I hear it used in different contexts. I hear it, you know, kind of have different connotations. And so today I was really wanting to explore what that is, what people mean by that, maybe what our ideas are about are about that. And so, you know, I can tell you a little bit just about myself as I, I was raised in a Southern Baptist background. And so what I can say from my personal experiences, like spirituality to me, I don't think I actually had a spiritual experience or anything like that until I was probably, even though I'd been through the church, until I was probably 18, 19, somewhere around there. And I guess my point is w where I developed was I kind of had this, I didn't experience that in religion. That's not something that I experienced, but in other contexts, I feel like I did. And so, you know, for me, there's always been kind of this, uh, I guess, kind of inner conflict between what religion is or what spirituality is. And so that kind of muddies the water for me personally, when mm -hmm. you're, when you're trying to understand what other people mean about spirituality. Right. Do you have any thoughts about that? Uh, do I have thoughts? Well, <clears throat> spirituality to me, the way it's used by the new age movement. Yeah. I have thoughts about that. It waters it down. It has no shadow and kind of, and I find they're the ones that have appropriated that word more than anybody. Right. And so in those circles, I think I'm a little bit, uh, maybe my, my view is a bit dark around that. I just don't, because it excludes everything that, you know, when we read Jung, we see is so important. So when used by, so I guess what I'm saying is depends on the group that's using it, which is a troublesome in that regard, I know. But it's just, um, that is a particular use of spirituality, because I don't know what they mean. Uh, yeah, to me, spirituality is um, more about depth and not going high. And I just, when I hear the new age movement, they're always talking as if they're trying to fly up to the sky somewhere. It just annoys me. Um, so yeah, anyway, I'm not sure if I'm getting lost in the word here or what. No, you're, no, you're not. Question. Well, this brings up a conversation we had uh, earlier this week where we discussed, I don't remember who it was that you, you sent me a quote of, and it was talking about, I don't remember if it was um, Hillman, I don't remember who it was, but talking about the difference between the soul and the spirit. Right. We had a little conversation around who uh, who was that that you quoted, by the way, who, or what was what was the what was the essential point? We talked about it. Either our conversations are really bad, and you remember so, them. Or... So, no, so <laughs> we were having a conversation, and we were both we were both uh, kind of weighing the statement that was made about the difference okay. between the soul and the difference. And through our conversation, kind of where it led us was that. Basically, that that engagement with one's soul, engagement with one's body, and and maybe essentially what you would call the feminine. It's necessary to be able to to experience the spiritual. You have to be connected within yourself first to be able to have a transcendent transcendent experience. I think. Right. I, I think that's where our conversation left off at. It's yeah. both both are necessary, and I. I talked about, uh, you know, kind of, I think Campbell talks about you know, Earth Mother and Sky Father, those right. being... Oh, yeah, okay, those, I remember. You, okay. Does this ring a bell? Yeah, a little bit. I think I talked about Lorca. No, I'll tell you, because I think what, what where it landed for me was my, my ability to lecture you about Lorca for a moment. Um, and the notion, actually, of um, that he came up with, and maybe I did, maybe at some point, I'm sure I've told you this, Duende? And what that means, artistic inspiration. I once re led an entire seminar on the subject. It was so fascinating. The nature of artistic inspiration, using a bunch of poets and different people talking about it. So Lorca, when he describes Duende in a very famous talk he gave in Buenos Aires, which is just, people should just Google because it's so so interesting and so alive. 
he talked about duende was the thing that infuses an artist. It could be a musician. It could be a dancer. He was specifically, I think, referring to the flamenco um, uh, stars of the or the ones he knew in southern uh, Spain because that you know that, that's where he was from. But and there was a thing about a performance that a person you know he talked about how you could have two dancers. One of them is most accomplished technically, but then someone comes in and she's seventy and she's kind of you know she looks like somebody shouldn't be on the uh, stage. But as soon as they get on something infuses their their um, um, performance so that it transforms. It transforms her and in transforming her, it transforms the the um, audience. And that's what he called Duende. And Duende is very much tied to the roots of the, the earth. And one of the things he specifically says, it's not it's not a thing that flies up to the sky, flitters around. It's got to really be rooted to the earth and really rooted in the body, right? To be able to make that connection. Um, and then when that happens, and this is why maybe I'm confused. I keep going back to this, but I still think the feeling function with Jung, and you know, I keep harping on it because I'm trying to understand it, is really rooted in in the body, right? And if you look at Duende, mm-hmm. what is it? What what happens? The way he described it, and if you've ever been in a performance, I'm sure you have, where you feel like you're really something's happened, right? It is a feeling state you enter. It's not a thinking state. It's definitely not a sensation state. And it doesn't feel to me like it would be an intuitive state. You're actually, your feeling is something is happening in there, right? But of course, mm-hmm. then we get into the problem of feeling and emotion. Anyway, long digression there. But what I'm trying to say is that for me, the word spirit has a problem because I also associate it a bit with the masculine. So it's going to rise, but it's not like it's going to be airy, but it doesn't have the groundedness that I really would like to see in spirituality. So maybe you put the word together and um, and that's what it evokes. But to me, I have to say, there's already a problem I have because it was used in such a context uh, before. But, you know, you, there are plenty of uh, writers like Richard Rohr, who I really love. He, you know, he talks about spirituality all the time, even though he's a Franciscan Francis or anyway, he is in a particular uh, faith, but he steps outside of it. And so and that's I think maybe is that maybe the way you see it? The spirituality is a word that is allowed to encompass all faiths, all connections to to transcendent like what what is it okay maybe maybe let's rephrase this what bothers you i still don't know why it bothers you i think i've gone on about why it bothers me but why why i guess the real reason it it bothers me i i don't know i see it uh i see spirituality on two extremes or what people say often that, that may bother me one being on one extreme you have what you discussed with uh which really bothers me which is you know, the idea of spiritual bypassing and really how, how spiritual, what people call spirituality and blissing out all the time, that that could be almost seen like an addiction of sorts. But then there's also the other extreme that I think people identify with spirituality, and that's the actual legalistic way of thinking of, of within religion that I think some people refer to that as their spirituality. Oh. And so... Do you see what I mean? I see, um, but uh, I'm more interested in why that bothers you so much in terms of it's like, so if you're in a specific religion, you can't talk about it as your spirituality? Is that? No, is that? no, 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 okay, no. That's sorry. not what I'm saying. I'm talking about it because I believe there are people that are within religion that are connecting. Okay. And, and, and so I'm not saying that that's not possible. What I'm saying is the extreme of that, okay. All right. of, of a religious attitude is, is clinging too tightly to you know rules and conventions and and whatnot in that it may shape what looks like virtue in the world it may help do that and but you know it would a person say that person is wow they're they're really engaged with some spiritual aspect of life right um i guess that's what i'm saying i see i see it used you know in a wide variety of ways where you have the, the very austere, and then you have the uh, the blissed out end. Right. So both, I think, are, so the real problem is both are extremes and probably not where we're right. ahead, right? So the rules thing, I mean, you know, rules are separate from any spirituality. I don't care what anybody says. That's just, it, it would, it, they, to me, they're an opposite. You can't, they're an opposition in some way. When you start hammering, this is what your behavior is going to be. And, and if you're not doing this in a certain way, then you're not spiritual. That to me is almost offensive, actually. So I won't even... I won't even like talk about that. So I think you almost with the religion, you have to separate the rules part, which can be intense and, and, you know, have formed, you know, even 2000 years ago for a specific reason, then be used again in, in a completely, you know, I could go on about this anyway. Right. So to me, that's a problem right there. Okay. 
but and then I agree with you on the other end, the, the blissed out, ridiculous, here I am, you know, and then, of course, you know, once you're over your meditation session, you go out and you scream at somebody because that's just what happens because you're human. So that, again, is both of them are. Um, but let's say someone is in, and I'm, I'm sure you're not denying this, if someone is in a church and feels really connected to that part of themselves that mm-hmm. connects to something greater, that's okay, right? That's the part of mm-hmm. the spirituality. So yeah. really your objection is the use of this by groups that you really don't feel comfortable with in some way or the way they're using right. it, right? Okay. Right. All right. Well, I think it's right. fair. I mean, that is fair. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, so then if you don't let them define it, let Jay define it. How do you define um, spirituality? And is it... Maybe you can't define it. Maybe that's part of the problem, right? I don't. I don't know that I could define it. The only way that I could think of it would be through telling a story. That's oh. the only way. That, okay, that's, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because that's basically the way all religions teach. So I would like to hear your story, Jay. Tell it. I agree. That is the best way. Of course, you're talking to storyteller. Awesome. Go ahead. Right. Right. Well. <clears throat> The, I'd, I'd say the I have one I have a story and, and I've talked about how I did an album in California in the past and a little bit about that story about losing a brother and moving to California a year and a half two years later and uh, getting into music and uh, songwriting <clears throat> and when I got time for I had an opportunity to do an album. And I'll just say, to preference this, uh, my my brother was a huge uh, inspiration to me, and I and and just because he always he was just very comfortable with who he was, and didn't really care about what anyone said about him. And he had he had a uh, a dream to. Uh, he worked for a farmer in southwestern Oklahoma, and he wanted to earn enough money one day where he could have his own land and farm it. And so that whole idea uh, of his story, I picked up on that in his death. And when I when I wrote about him uh, for his funeral, I, it, what I really valued about his life was his willingness to uh, live his life the way that he wanted to live it. And so that's something that I picked up on and what I wanted to use between this period of <clears throat> my brother's death and, and doing an album, my parents, uh, my brother had sown some wheat in, uh, in Southwestern Oklahoma and he died while it was, after it was planted by a couple of months. So when harvest time came, my parents went out to the field and uh, they took pictures of his last so, which was such a great metaphor for me and his life and life in general and who we are in our bodies. So the story around all that got me uh, thinking creatively. I ended up doing an album that was funded through uh, my brother's not only savings, but also parts of his life insurance. And so it was something that my family was really behind and uh, uh, it kind of pulled us together in, in our grief. And my idea for this album was to call it uh, Harvesting James. James is my brother's uh, first name. And the whole idea about that uh, and why it was such a spiritual experience to me. Not not only because of things that I experienced along the way that that were uh, magical in some way, but the big thing is is I often felt the sense that my brother was with me in some way, and that what I was doing through doing an album called Harvesting James was I was taking moving my brother's life forward and realizing his dream in only a way that I could realize it. And so to me, that's a religious or a spiritual experience because uh, I had to be rooted in my body and my grief in order to have that transcendent experience where not only I felt healing in a way, but also where my whole family felt healing in a way. You know, I, my mom has told me many times that that period in, 
our life was uh, very special because she said what I was doing was really helping heal the family. through all of this with with my family you know my mom has said told me several times that this was a really special thing for the you know the entire group that it it helped all of us heal this process and so that's what you know I tend to think of without me being connected with my grief then that doesn't happen like right. I, I don't think I don't think the experiences that that I had that I couldn't really explain but other than the experience of feeling like you know my brother was with me that that time that the the song that I wrote about him that when we went in to mix it I put some harmony parts in places and what I was doing was I was basically simulating what I felt were the angels that I heard whenever he came to me in a dream like a year before that. And so once I heard the replay of the song with those angelic voices, like it was it was like the culmination of everything. So I was flooded mm-hmm. with emotion, of course. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's through living a path like that, that when you're connected to your pain that because you're at your most vulnerable and I think, you know, our egos are softer. You kind of see, you know, the veil pulled away for a a little bit or you get pictures of something very transcendent that connects everything. And and to me, that's that's what I would consider a a spiritual experience because it, it it came through a story and I don't know, what do you hear? Well, I hear how beautiful that song is, which of course we're going to use again for this um, episode. I think you can hear it in that song. I really do. And I think what music can do and story can actually as well. And I think we talked about this. It's just how it can connect you to uh, grief. It can can bring up grief and allow you to process it. You can connect to so many emotions. And that's actually ultimately its power, Right. Um, and why people keep going back to movies and reading books and, and poetry and, and listening to music. But I think for me in particular, not being a musician, I think music can do that better than anything, you know? And I think we all admire people who can take you there because, you know, sometimes you can't access it except, and you were really lucky and your family was really lucky actually that there was somebody who could transform. It's almost like alchemical, that kind of grief and pain. If there is somebody who can do that, to channel that for the for the family, it is, it's immensely powerful. And I mean, there's so many people who can't though, um, but they can through music created or works created by people who really are in touch with their grief. So yes, when you describe what you describe about the process, that to me, definitely fits my idea of what spirituality is. But that involves so much of you, right? It involves you being connected, as you said. It started with that, being connected to your grief. And often the real problem with people is they don't connect to the grief. And so they're going out there covering it up, right, in so many ways. Right. So that is the power of art, really, at the end of the day, right? Right. Well, what would you say would be the difference? Um, Is there a difference between uh, the psychological and the spiritual? Would you say mm. that that the spiritual is psychological, or um, and when I mean psychological, I don't mean like you know our our cognitive um, no, abilities or, or or you know thinking patterns. I just mean you know in the way maybe Jung might just might define psychology. So only in the way that Jung <laughs> defines psychology for yeah, me, anyway. Right. Because right. precisely, he included these words every there. He was he was not afraid to go to words like numinous and transcendent and these words that scared the heck out of uh, Freud, right? And others, you know, let's be honest. And writing at a time when everybody was sort of turning against this notion of any connection to a transcendent reality. So yeah, of course I would think. I think what he would say, the way I understand him, and I understand a lot of the Eastern 
philosophies is that what you're really connecting to is yourself, right? In a deep, deep way. And when you do, you connect to an exterior because you are connected. So the word connected keeps coming in. And I keep thinking of the feminine as being part of that. Not that I'm saying that the masculine doesn't have a component of this because of course it does. But the idea of the connection is what takes you there. And I think music mm -hmm. more than anything might be the connecting, the glue that uh, works the best. I'm not saying poetry doesn't. There's so many other stuff in stories for sure. Obviously I have to believe that, but there's something about music that just is another layer up, right? Um, and so, yeah, if you are lucky enough to have, but, but if you don't have music, I'm saying to everybody, right? I think I'd stay with the first thing, the connecting. I find a lot of people have told me that their grief has connected them also to a, a weird kind of transcendence just through the grief, just being able to mm -hmm. sit with the grief, that it is actually a beautiful book. Of course, I always have to mention a book, so here it comes. Um, Francis Weller's book on grief, and I'm going to have a draw blank here. It is so beautiful when he talks about this um, very issue that the, the grief only gets worse if you are not able to make that connection and pretty early on, right? Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. it takes time, but I mean, it's the idea from the beginning, you really do sit with it. Um, so that would be my idea that that is, they say, what's, what, which is the way, who's the writer that said suffering is the fastest or the swiftest horse to completion? Not even Bignon, mm -hmm. I don't know. He's certainly quoted as somebody in that in that world. And that 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 that's really hard <laughs> because you think, well, I really don't want to suffer. But we do, right? And so the fact that you want to do something with that to me, yeah, yeah, that is that is also the person, I think, who does this incredible dance performance that makes you feel completely connected to your body. You know, the way I started defining it, and this is gonna sound like, you know, I have some sort of prejudice against thinking, but when the when the thinking mind falls away is how I feel I connect. Like when that just disappears and you stop hearing your stupid chatter who's telling you to do this or believe that or do that, whatever. I feel that's when I connect the deepest. And for me, it's, you know, through mindfulness practices tied to the Sufi work I did because it was always about the heart. And so I guess it took me there. And sometimes, I mean, I, I, I shared a chant that, uh, that I really love. And I use chant actually to get into that mode because there's something about chant that just slows your whole body down. And for me, that's actually very important. But yeah, so there are many ways to connect. But uh, for me, what, what do you make of that? Do you think that makes any sense? The idea that that is a moment you, your the the words fall, which is funny. I'm a writer, yeah. But anyway, but I know they're necessary in certain contexts. Yeah, everything just falls. The thoughts you're carrying are just nothing. Uh, does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense. I I don't. I mean, I think some of it still has to be intact. But I, I mean, I know it because sometimes I don't know. I feel like the mind sometimes help us helps us make connections. So it's almost like it has to. Like the thoughts have to. Hit. I'm not sure I remember. <laughs> I, I think what I'm saying. No, I mean I, I'm experiencing what I'm really trying to define because you're right. I mean you do need the words. I mean why the, the words are actually words are critical. I'm just saying that there are moments in time when the, the you you could just let go of. Um, it's not even words. It's just that everything kind of time changes. I can't even mm -hmm. describe it. it. There is a quality in meditation that you get not you know not often, but sometimes of complete stillness, right? And all the stories, the narratives, and maybe that's what I'm getting. It's not even the words, it's the narratives, the stories of you right. that have been invading you right. for the last, you know, yeah. whatever. They keep, they seem kind of silly and superfluous. And and those are very small moments because most of the time you're observing the fact that your mind is trying to tell you stories, which is a fine form of meditation. You're just watching, being the watcher. But there is a moment. It doesn't like it doesn't happen very often. You just break through and something really slows down, right to almost still the still point that T.S. Eliot talked about. And you just, you feel different. And I, I cannot, you can't talk about it. That's the stupid part because it is a body experience. And that's why I keep thinking something in the mind just collapses for a while so that you can go into the wave and get out of the particle for a while and just get a little bit more connected to something um, bigger. And that is when I think I'm having a spiritual moment. But someone would say, well, you set it up, you have plain chant music, you've got uh, meditation. Maybe it's true, I don't know, but that's how but, I feel. But there are, I, I think there, there are more even extreme experiences that are far from blissful that could be considered oh, spiritual yeah. right right okay so let's talk about it so the the mystics describe it saint john of the cross right the breaking the falling apart of everything right that moment where everything shatters it's really painful and you can lose your mind certainly some people have so yeah but then but we talk back that those are the moments maybe are we all looking for just these extreme moments i don't know maybe we are where everything just collapses into something uh, through pain, through joy, you could connect through joy, right? There's many ways of connecting. It's not all just, I mean, if you do Sufi dancing and you're circling around, even a little bit, trust me, you're sort of getting into a state, right? Um, 
so there are many ways. It's not just through the dark. It can also through, because I don't want to make it sound like the only way you can get there is by no, suffering. No, is that, no. <laughs> that sounds like my Spanish grandmother entered the room and started talking. No, I mean, there's got to be, so suffering, yes. And I'm really, and you know, I'm really partial to the classical Greeks who've suffered better than anybody have, have suffered since. Um, but I also think there's some stories and we all feel this when we hear these great redemption stories. I don't know if mm-hmm. you do that, but that can make me as more mm-hmm. as emo- as emotional too, right? So that's the joy side. So I don't, I, I just oh, don't no. want to keep it. Okay. No, I experienced, I experienced joy in the story that I told you. No. Right. right. Oh yeah, you did. Exactly. Yeah, you did. It came from yeah. the first grief and then yeah, joy. Absolutely. Okay. So that, that's all that I want to make sure I understand that because it's not, yeah. again, if you're going to describe the whole experience, right. Can you, okay. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you can't define it. I have to find it. What, well, well, but I agree with your definition. Okay. What unites, let's try to figure out what is uniting this. Isn't not the word connection that you're connected to I, something. I think so. Yeah. Okay. That's the only word I can really come up with. I mean, which is ultimately, honestly, what everybody's looking for anyway. That's what right. our stories are geared towards. But in that case, what I think is really powerful, it's that, that I'm going to go back to the Sufis because that's a tradition I know a little bit more about. Um, it is the connection to the heart, but understanding that it's not located in the outside world. And that's really hard for people, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. At least, yeah, there's mm-hmm. that moment where you realize this is a inside job here. And what's great about it is that when that happens, you're instantly connected to everybody, too. It's kind of a weird paradox. By, by falling apart and expecting the world to be what it is, it actually becomes a lot larger. So, yeah, so that's, that's I think we're talking about the same thing. We're just talking about different ways you can get there. But, um, yeah. Oh, and, and I didn't mean to make it sound like, I had a way to get there. <laughs> no, you didn't. No, you didn't. But I mean, <laughs> that's no, not what I was going no, with. no, no, no. I, you were. You didn't sound like that. But I would say that I do think um, if 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 having some sort of creative outlet is worth anything, it's got to be worth something at that point in time, honestly, because uh, you know it is that moment that you're really at the bottom that you're trying to sort of climb your way out. It, 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 other people's work can affect us. So then the ability to also create work that comes from that pain is is equally powerful. But not everybody can. I'm not, you know, it's not right. it's not something that's open. I mean, everybody can, but they're not geared that way. The point is that, yeah. Well, I was talking about extremes. I was I was talking about extremes. Like Groff speaks about some of the extreme experiences people have. They, on, you know, on he, breath work or psychedelics or both or any anything, about? anything, right. alien abduction, past life right. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all that stuff. But isn't this yeah. again when we're stepping out of the conditioned mind? Because there's no way right. you can have the kind of imagination that is required for some of these things unless you're kind of again stepping out of that world of thought. And when I say thought, I'm not saying abandon it altogether because you're still speaking or regression or whatever. But the idea, the condition, okay, can we say maybe definitely the habitual patterns that run those those programs that run every day in your in your uh, head and kind of make life a little bit um, a little bit hard, right? So it's so the, even a moment of freedom where you're connecting to something larger. Yeah, those are all examples. Yeah. So we talked about in episode four, I think, of romantic love, right? And that's one way that people often feel they're connecting to the transcendent. That was the the whole Robert Johnson critique of all most of his work geared towards thinking that this is a new religion and you got to be careful because the religion will never serve the people that are participating in this particular one because someone's going to fail somebody else because that's the way life is. So, but some people do connect through the other for a short time, mm-hmm. maybe, but they are connecting to something larger. And yes, mm-hmm. it is at the moment, you know, it could be half projection, half not. But the point is, that's another way, right? Through relationship or through actually, I argued this with um, John Price through conversation. I feel think people, maybe because I run the Sophia group, I don't feel people give enough value. And this is why it's distressing to see the conversation having gone so angry everywhere. But the value of just conversing with people and being heard in a certain way, right? I mean, that's what happens in therapy, right? You go and you're heard. I don't, I particularly find it difficult in therapy because I need something back from the other. I want to hear the other person's story. I really don't want to be telling my story because I find it rather boring. But, and so when you, so this is one way I think we could create connection. I hope we're creating connection in a small way to value those kind of conversations. But, But then you have to, talk about what kind of conversations right because they're not all equal right and so maybe the way i'm going to define it because i've worked at this the last 15 years i've built this small but really important to me is the ability to 
be super honest with people about your inner life. It's so easy to actually be honest about what's going on. You know, this is what's going on with my kids or whatever. It's a different kind of conversation when you are allowing people inside to whatever your imagination, your dreams, because that's a hell of a lot more intimate, even though you may not even realize it as you're doing it. So maybe the connecting part here is the ability to maybe connect with people on that level where honesty is actually valued above or whatever else you've constructed. Because I think the reason that works is that then your ego is sort of tamed a bit, you know, for a while. And there is a possibility to connect to something larger. And I felt it in five-hour meetings, honestly, where I just felt like all of us kind of something in each of us changed. And we don't know what it was. We couldn't tell you what the conversation was about. And we talked about images that mean nothing to anybody. But some weird thing happened. And I go back to the fact that you're listened to very intently and you're participating. You're also giving something back. So you don't feel like it's a one-way street. Does that does that uh, make any sense to you? Certainly. Making connections with others, you mean? Or connecting yeah, but, deeply with each through the inner yeah, life. Yes. Yeah, through yeah. the inner life. Like I, I think the outer life, it's really, we all have lovely friends, right? Who come over and I love them dearly and they come over and we have chats about what's going on in the world, blah, blah, blah. And then the mundane part of life. Mundane, not in a negative way, just the ordinary days. But I'm talking about a deeper conversation I may not have with the same people because they don't want to talk about this. But people who are allowing you into their world, they're in a world. So, yeah, so that's my, my, I guess for me, that's what this has become. This is my form of, you know, connecting to a larger reality. Don't you leave your mind. Okay, so we were talking about questioning what is spirituality, what is that experience, but in, I, I think I gave two kind of extreme examples of things maybe that aren't spirituality, but are categorized that, or it, or it's it's kind of enveloped in, in that language. One is this austere religi- religiosity, and then there's this kind of bypassing of the New Age movement, you know, mm-hmm. that, okay, so the other thing that happens is, uh, you know, a lot of people, I think, incorporate religious belief to be a form of spirituality. And I'm not quite sure how to make the connection with that in spirituality. To me, you know, to me, spirituality is more of a more of an experiential thing. Mm-hmm. And belief to me is more about grasping for certainty. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that maybe that is the the difference right there. So here's what I think when you say 2000 and 8000 and you're trying to locate things or whatever, you're trying to locate things in time, right? You're trying to nail it to a specific period. Because, and this is Tom Harper's argument in The Pagan Christ, which is really, really good. What happened with the churches around the time of the Enlightenment is that they needed to adopt scientific language, they thought, to survive. Because if you're suddenly accepting certain scientific tenets that had been denied uh, up to that time, uh, then you have to use the same same kind of approach to religion that you're using in science. And so there became there was a move toward to to move away from the mythological to the more concrete. This happened. Uh, we have this in relic that can, you know, and of course, especially with Protestants, I, I think with Catholics, it's still, you know, a little bit more misty, but there was a move towards that. And I think that's when you start seeing it, because when you say something, let's say you say, you know, I know some people believe the earth is so many thousand years, thousand years old. Um, that's not anywhere you would find, I don't think, in Catholicism, let's say, in the 14th century. There would be no mention of that whatsoever. It's actually a little bit irrelevant. But I think what would happen with the Enlightenment is that it brought in a new way of seeing things. And then the church adjusted to that, at least according to Harper, and it makes sense to me, the church then adjusted to that new way by using the same thing. So they have, they realized no longer can we t- just talk about belief. We have to bring in some of the things that the scientists are speaking, like, okay, can we ground this? And, you know, can we find the tomb? Can we find, you know, this or that? And ironically, what they found were um, scrolls that we've talked about before, which mm-hmm. actually kind of questioned what their what the what the view of the church was. But you know, the shroud of Turin, you know, all these things that are out there that sort of point to reality. But don't you think that it it's it's 
because of that. And in fact, when you do that, if you're following Campbell's ideas, if you do that, you're actually demythologizing the, the very belief structure and that the whole reason that it works is because there's a coherent mythology that you can hang on to, right? And uh, so so that's the way, I don't know if I'm in, interpreting what you said, the way, are you intending it the way that I'm interpreting or have I gone down a completely different uh, pathway here? Which <laughs> would be unusual. Uh, I, what I hear you say is, is uh, through the concretization of of the mythology, you're killing the mythology, or you're killing yeah. the the actual, possibly even the experiential stuff. Yeah, that, yeah. That comes, I'm, that, I'm absolutely yeah. saying that. Yeah, because okay. what you're you're taking you're taking what's valuable, uh, which is the mythologizing. It's the theatrical. It's the taking yourself out of a your own daily space and time. This happened with the Catholic Church. You know, the priest used to be with his back to the congregation, used to be in Latin. And then they changed that. But part of what was really neat, if you ever see, if you ever did see one of those ceremonies, it's just how you were taken to another space. It was a little bit like entering the theater in ancient Greece. And 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 you can't discount how powerful that is because people have really cathartic experiences there. So you demythology, and I'm talking about the great religions because there's always going to be smaller religions that mm -hmm. or sects that can attract people through using both the the mm -hmm. um you know trying to grasp but uh, to facts whatever they think they are and plus the mythology but in general that's what we, I mean certainly everybody seems to argue this and it feels that way to me I gotta talk about feeling when that when I enter a church I mean I enter a church cathedral let's say I just was in Spain in Spain you do get this sense of awe just from what's built there you know because that built that was built on belief but I'm talking a little bit more about the daily kind of thing right where you take a ceremony which is supposed to take you out of space and time for a second to take you to a, to a completely different way of thinking and being gone right i mean music was the one thing right the and this is where i mm -hmm. think uh the english choral tradition is so beautiful because you go in there and you just feel like you're trans you know, transported but that's it a lot of it has it, been and completely... that's and that's still alive i mean that's yeah. that's still alive and oh for sure uh, yeah and the other thing that has me thinking is, is what what and I'm not here to bash organized religion, no, no. but I'm just looking at this as what I have found through my own experience or what I have observed as well is a person can like that is oriented within um, a specific uh, religion can have this very profound experience that that takes them somewhere that takes them inward or or beyond if you want to say that but it's all getting interpreted through the culture that they're immersed in so so when something's getting interpreted for you well then that kind of limits it in a way yeah yeah it does and, yeah how can you do that without though i mean religion has always done that that's not change, unless you're talking about some of the Eastern traditions, right? They're very much about um, going within, but you still need a teacher or a guide or somebody that can yes. actually take you, right? But but it is more experiential. I would say something from the East is more likely to be embodied. Uh, you have to go more, more and, and uh, even a breath work that they do, some of the extreme breath work connects you to the body, right? Don't see that so much in, in uh, at least the tradition I'm familiar with, which of course is Catholicism. It's not there. You know, just uh, maybe on Good Friday, if you go to Seville, you will see extreme behavior. You know, people <clears throat> on their knees all the way behind the Virgin because, you know, they're giving a mass or praying for somebody. But that, that's rare. It doesn't really happen. So uh, is that what you're talking about? The idea of just connecting on that level? Well, yeah, I, I will say it another way. There, there can be people with very strong held held beliefs, what they would refer to as their faith. And they will have an experience, I think. I've seen this, that really they articulate something that transcends that system that they adhere right. to. Right. Oh. Um, but then it gets put back right. into gotcha. that system and, and, okay. and uh, it kind of digested that way or whatever. I'm saying that a person can have, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's this exclusive thing where if you have these devout beliefs that you're incapable of, of a spiritual life, that's not what I'm saying at all, yeah. but that, you know, the belief system is part of the ego, right? Because uh, it is, I think it's about, it's about finding certainty and that's what the ego wants to do. And it's about, you know, kind of controlling 
what the world you inhabit is and what everything, you know, it's a way of interpreting things. But then people at the same time that having that, they'll have an experience that that will transcend that. Right. And so I'm just I, I does that make sense? Like it's, it does. Well, well, I think what I think I'm hearing is that what you're the one thing is you can have an experience of that minus that whole structure of belief. You can yes. have that experience. We've all had yes what's called usually unitary consciousness, something that happens where everything shifts. But if you don't have a structure overlaid on it, you don't go to the structure for the rules as to what had happened, what has happened. You're quite, you're right. just caught in the experience. But once someone has that type of experience within a, a structure, right, that is established, they are going to then tell you what that means. And they're going yes. to, they're going. so how, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. How is this in any way different from a lot of things that are happening now, like psychedelic, uh, therapeutic, supported psychedelic uh, therapy or um, because that's where somebody or even Jungian analysis let's take Jungian analysis right you go in you're talking about a dream with somebody who is an expert in mm -hmm. their field you know mm -hmm. whatever they did the training mm -hmm. isn't they're also aren't they also using the exact same structure to take mm -hmm. your 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 experience and and you know you're using a language to understand it, right there is uh, a difference and of course in all those situations there's the capacity for abuse and a therapeutic situation there's the capacity for abuse oh, yeah, um, sure. the, the the difference i think in in a, the difference i think is there is such a collective those are more intimate experiences whether you're doing psychedelics with a guide or you're going doing psychotherapy or whatever whereas in religion you're more apt to get caught up into uh, a collective thing. So the same person that's interpreting your experience for you or the same people, you also are brought into, uh, I, I think there's more capacity for abuse, I guess I would say with those situations. Okay. All right. I yeah. I think there's probably, well, we know because of all the cases, at least in my country that have come against the Catholic church, they've had to pay out a lot of money to uh, people in schools and um, and uh, people in well, in, in residential schools, I and mean, it's a big tragedy. So we know that this exists. There's a long history of it, actually, uh, and it is rare. It's rarer now, especially. I think in in today's today's world, it would be you know it'd be dangerous to do that. But aren't you kind of talking then about a, a, a societal issue as well, right? Because these these are communities built on the backs of churches, but they they're laws, right? I guess the difference is that. In a Jungian analysis, there aren't strict, okay, strict laws that you have to leave the building and live by, right? You, you don't have to believe anything. You don't have to. You don't it. have to buy into. Well, um, you do have to buy into. You know, you do no, have to well, buy into a little bit. Of you, no, no, yeah. no, 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 no. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to buy in into this mass contract that has all these other things tied into it. Um, you know, if I if I believe A and, uh, you know, I believe A, therefore B is true. And if I believe B, then C is true. You know, right. yeah. There, yeah. there's a certain there's a certain foundational uh, foundationalism, I would call right. it, you know, um, where that's a great word. <laughs> yeah. Fundamentalism, uh, but not foundationalism. That's great. Yeah. Go ahead. So it's what you're saying is there's a structure. That, so it's not just the belief. It goes way beyond belief, right? To to a little bit controlling of what your life's going to be like. Right. There's right? more. There is. There is. I mean, there's there's yeah, more of, of a um there there's more of a sense of authority. I think. Yeah. No. No. For um, sure. We're yeah. not just limiting this to religious movements because I would say there are movements going on today that are not classified as religious. But they're the same. But yeah. But they're the same thing. Okay, so one of these would be Jay. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I oh are, are, no no go, go no 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 I want you to finish that thought because we're recording and I'll keep it there. That's that's good. Okay, so what's um, that thought? You know, the, the the biggest thing that I see, and I've actually been quite intrigued with it, is um uh you know the History Channel always has this show on called Ancient Aliens, and they've been running it for. <laughs> At about 15 years and, uh -huh. and it's it's roots its roots go back to uh someone that wrote a book in the 1960s that uh and the thing that has always intrigued me about it is it is it does have a religious feel to it but but there's also they are bringing in cross-cultural mythology and symbolism now 
it's it's uh, the thing that makes it what I would call kind of more religious is they are taking cross-cultural mythology and symbolism to point to a belief or to support a belief. The, the idea that the gods were actually extraterrestrials mm-hmm. and that they are the ones that seeded this earth. And, and it is a, it is actually a cool mythology when you think about it. And let's say, I mean, it is a mythology to me. No doubt. It, no doubt. Yes. And, uh, but they are, this is, this is just taking the whole God thing and putting another, putting another yeah. face on it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, another mask. So isn't this kind of, remember Joseph Campbell said in the late 60s that, you know, we, we had lost our unit of kind of mythology, anything that united us and that the new mythology was still pretty far away from coming into sight. We didn't know what it would be. Maybe Jung said that. But what Campbell for sure said is that when the astronauts went out and they were first time they they looked at the earth and the moon, they saw that it was one thing and that you could not mm-hmm. have the same. If you had experienced that, you're not going to go back and wonder if, you know, you're a Torontonian of, you know, Montreal. It just seems right. all so rather silly, which it really is. So they had a change in actual perspective perspective it was crazy i mean uh you know one of them founded the institute of noetic sciences got that's mitchell just died actually not that long ago but anyway the point is that they had a different perspective so is your argument then that science fiction not science fiction let's talk about extraterrestrials that that would take that would be a version of the new mythology because now you go beyond the limits of what we had before right of our seeing mm-hmm. now we've been able to see what we wouldn't be able to see before so it's logical that the and you said the 60s fueled this particular view although i've read that some of that actually goes back to the 1920s but in a big way you're you're probably right that where did this come from it mean the 60s i'm referring to the eric von donick yeah yeah the, the thing that you're yeah. talking about a history channel yeah. okay so the point is though that it does actually map onto when we first human humanity got a sense that you could look at the earth from a different perspective so that it, it does match nicely however jung was writing about this in the late 50s like i think he wrote the book or his his big long essay on um uh, the things that people see in the skies. I think it's uh, uh, UFOs. Um, and he, that was published in 58. So um, so it was already around in some form, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's just that, okay, okay. so I've been reading this book by D.W. Pasulka uh, called America, American Cosmic, I think. I always got these things. American, anyway, the point is, this book is a religious scholar who it takes on exactly what you're talking about. She takes on the idea that because she is in particular has specialized in uh, the kind of strange experiences. Now we talk about the experiential. This this is an experiential thing that people of a mystical bent will have leaving their bodies, um, something called bilocality, which is you're in two places at the same time. And she actually um, wrote her thesis on a bunch of female saints from Spain who who had this, who who experienced these very strange things. One of them used to exploit uh, <laughs> the colonies, as they called them, uh, because they took her and they said, look, she can do I mean, just crazy stuff, okay? Without even getting into, into that part of it, they really believed that they were levitating. Uh, they, they, these women that were having this experience, Santa Teresa de Jesus, who is a, you know, obviously well-known because of, she was actually a writer, a poet, um, I mean, she 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 had some really extreme ex, uh, uh, experiences that, you know, you kind of think it, it it is equivalent to what people describe when under a very strong psychedelic or something like DMT or whatever. Anyway, um, so she looked at that and she said that she started reading. She was interested. She was working uh, for six years on this book. She was interested in the correspondences between what people experience, okay, and what they report experiencing um, after having an encounter. They've been taken to I don't know. You would know more of the variations. She doesn't really get into that. She just talks about the experience of thinking you made contact with one of these beings or situations. And they looked a lot like the religious experiences that uh, were happening to these saints that she had studied. So she thought, is it the same phenomenon? And that would go to what you say, right? That it actually is. In a, in a certain way, it's experiential. But the, the difference is it's now being interpreted according to something that kind of has the science flavor in it, right? Because mm-hmm. we're all, even if you don't believe in UFOs, you really, it, this the scientists will have to see if that's true or not. We can see as much as we want. It hasn't yet been verified to, to anybody's well, I, great satisfaction, except maybe the people is, I, watching I, History Channel. I don't know. It's it's like um, it's like the religion has to progress with the science. Yeah. So in yeah. order in for in order for it to maintain its 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 magic, 
So they they wrote all kinds of stories about weather phenomena. You know, I'm sure there's all kinds of mythology about lightning and uh, and fire and uh, storms or, you know, an eclipse. Okay, those are uh, all gods to, in the Greek pantheon or even right, going beyond the Babylonian, the Mesopotamian. Yes, right, you're totally right, yeah. Right. So you're just saying so, they're look different. So we've right? we've did we've demystified those things and and, yeah. and science has science has gotten us to the point to where we understand the matter behind it, meaning the the physical corporal like uh you know explanation for it. Well, now that we've got explanations, scientific explanations for all these things, now the religion has to come from outside our understanding. Right. That's and our under yeah. Our, yeah. our understanding is so much greater now that now it has to be something interstellar or yeah. um yeah. because that's where the mystery is. Yeah, yeah, totally. That is perfect. I, that I can totally see. And it actually explains for me because she, in the book, argues something very similar, that it's just the same experience being projected into. And she uses a lot of Jung's work, which is was good and interesting because, of course, he had the idea that what people were seeing were versions of wholeness, the, the round, circular things, right? Because they were in need, really, of, of locating this longing for some connection on something. And actually, your argument makes total sense when I think of what Harper said, Tom Harper, about the Enlightenment basically changing what the church had to do to make itself viable. And so it all matches because when it did that, Harper's argument is, and he was an Anglican minister, he was a scholar at the University of Toronto. He was an Anglican minister, so he thought a lot about this. So his argument is you get to the 19th century and it all kind of falls apart, right? There's a whole bunch of things that scientifically come online that make this a lot of these narratives just not make sense anymore. That's number one. But number two, there was a sort of feeling of, um, you know, materialism becoming more important, people just disconnecting. So um, uh, what's my point? Oh, and that's where you talked about how, you know, this is where there was a lot of suppression of information about what the church really was. But the reason it failed is because it had become demythologized. Had they stuck to the mythology a bit stronger, uh, a little bit longer, maybe they could have continued, but it was dying anyway, because people weren't buying into that story. So what you're saying is that there was a story, and that's very clever. I mean, it makes sense that nobody can prove or disprove because only right. science maybe, but you know, it hasn't been very successful. Maybe we'll be more successful, but yeah. So you keep pushing it and pushing it out. But actually when you're right. talking about the, the um, lightning and storms, uh, this is exactly what the Greek gods were assigned to. So yes. So this totally makes sense. Um, and now I can understand a little bit better actually, because I really honestly was a little bit lost as to why people are so obsessed about it. And people, you know, that I follow who, and this is the point she makes, that some of the people she met are really, really high-level scientists, a lot of people in Silicon Valley, a lot of people involved in media and entertainment, a lot of musicians, a lot of people who um, are probably looking for a connection. And this this seems like something yeah, that, that could connect them in a way that they need, but without having to enter a church, which for a lot of people is quite difficult, right? So, no, that's great. And, and in saying that, I, I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> now you're going back it, it, and you change your mind no no i'm not changing my mind uh okay. about uh, about what we're just talking about i do find i i can't help i can't help but also even though we can we can look at this mythologically like it does seem at times i i'm conflicted because when people witness things i i do think about okay you know what is this i know that people are experiencing things and and it's it's very real to them but i don't know that i can say exactly what it is that they're experiencing yeah well um, we're not here to interpret people's experience in fact i think we both agree that the experience is what we're looking for it's the interpretation or the story the narrative you built around that experience that's what right. we're talking about right, right. okay so experience yes. is real what it means well this is the age-old question we don't know <laughs> and that's right. okay keep an open mind right. but be logical also in your thinking just like it's logical in my view to say that a real person was this and that when we we don't have maybe the historical evidence i'm a trained historian that's my background so to me you have to give me a lot of more conclusive evidence for certain things that are claimed by certain religions that's fine um so the same thing would be for here because uh I just read so much craziness that it just, and, and what she did is she added a chapter at the beginning. I thought, oh, this is losing the track. I don't want to read this chapter. She was right. What she was trying to say is that 
this UFO, UFOlogy or whatever you want to call it, has been yes. really also fostered and nurtured by the media, creating narratives that are really compelling visually. And, you know, mm -hmm. this is great. And they keep connecting people to these stories. So before, but prior to 1950, you, you didn't have this. This just was not part of the game. And now even crazier, everybody's recording everything. Everybody's posting everything. In fact, one of the interesting things Pasulka uh, does is she meets up with a guy who handles the, there's a place and I, what is it 51 the, i can't remember the actual place where there's a collection of all of these people they go there and they report what they've seen and this guy's actually really irritated because he said there's only a couple of really good good stories overall and these people are flooding the zone so to speak and making it look like we're insane because a lot of what they're looking at is maybe a satellite dish at the middle of the night right and they just got confused and so he's actually tried to get rid of them not because he doesn't believe but because as a big believer he's really worried about the the intrusion by people who are not, you know, seeing things maybe in the way yeah. that he does or that's, you know, rational. And, and so he's actually the, the gatekeeper here. He's trying to change that. Um, and I was just thinking that that that's the thing. Ultimately it, you can't prove that there's God. You can't, you can't, I mean, there's no verified way to do it. I get faith is a totally different thing, but you can't really prove right. that. Right. Okay. Um, so, or heaven or hell or any of these things, these are just Right. Stories, stories, ideas, whatever. Um, religious traditions. You can't also prove at this moment, and I can't see it happening, that any extraterrestrial ever arrived here. Um, right. You know, right. That, that anything was here. Certainly Atlantis and all the business about connecting. Some <laughs> of the stuff is just so crazy. It's to me anyway, it's crazy. Anyway, um, so... And then we get into the dodgy thing about proof, right? Because proof has killed so much creativity in the sense that um, there are, but, but, but if you're trained in any discipline, you know that there are things that are verifiable and there are things that are not verifiable. And mm -hmm. so I think what we're talking about in the end is that it's a great mythology because they can't be verified. <laughs> Maybe one day. I, we, okay. So what, just, just like jumping, what would happen if there is proof? Let's say next 10 years, you get some sort of proof that absolutely number one whatever okay where do you move the goalposts then i mean what's right left? the goalpost moves for sure <laughs> yeah the but where where moves. do we go I mean, from yeah, there, I like, yeah right right yeah if we right. basically just forget it just uh or maybe go back uh well i mean <laughs> it would be interesting to see no no because that you know after after that happens uh, and I think the 20th century killed a lot of Christianity in the same way, you know, as, as rationalism, mm -hmm. whatever that means, you know, uh, sets in. And to, to I, I, this is where it kills the mythological. So it kills off a lot of really good things with it. So in, in its wake, it basically made the world, uh, well, you know, yeah. And see, that's that's the other thing. That's that's the other thing. So as as the world becomes disenchanted because of, um, and I think this is where, and, and I can only speak mostly to Christianity because that's what I grew up in. But I think the reason why science is such a feared thing is because it does disenchant that system. Yeah. Um, it it yeah. disenchants it. And so what do you do in response to that? You either, you know, make a devil out of science or you, you find your own science to argue that uh to argue for um your belief so so which is essentially is just another mythology you're creating so those are those are the two kind of reactions that that i see and, and it's not i'm not I'm, I'm not bashing this i'm just saying no that's what you're, you're stating what you see as what's unfolded it's funny it brings to mind uh the the book that basically Put my publisher and like made a lot of money for my publisher, which is um, the Reenchantment of Everyday Life by Thomas More, which came out in the '80s sometime. And I mean, it made like some it sold like 80 million. It was crazy how much that sold. Um, and if you, he was, you know, he was uh, he was a monk for a while. Monk, he's trained certainly as a, he was. I think he was until he was about 25 or 26. And then he was also a musician, came out and, you know, then left there and, and, you know, basically started writing these books. But what's interesting about him is his whole book, The Reenchantment of Everyday Life, is to re, to take what, what you're just talking about, that we somehow the universe became disenchanted. How do you, do you re-enchant it? And his whole idea was, well, you re-enchanted by becoming connected again to the things that you're taking for granted already. So those are small things, just presence, mm -hmm. music, music as a form of meditation, not music as a form to put you to sleep and, you know, and whatever. Right. 
um, just to look at the things that had not had been, that were not sacred, but actually important to you in your life. For me, the experience of finding a great book is kind of an important thing. So making that the sacred, appreciating that what's happening day to day, and it must have resonated because this was in the eighties, late eighties, I believe it was uh, released. I mean, it sold a ridiculous amount of, of books. I think again, I think I, just crazy. Anyway, the point is that that message to reenchant when somebody writes a book, the reenchantment of everyday life, something about enchantment, something being missing, that you've you've killed something that mm-hmm. has to be brought back in, right? So um, so there it is. And I think maybe that's what we have to look at. And frankly, what's troubling about that is Thomas More would be considered by some to be in the category of a new age thinker. He's not. He's much more profound. He's a therapist, musician. He's a man who's thought deeply about people like Marcelo Ficino and wrote a very good book about him. So no, but the fact is he's speaking about things that are everyday life. And so um, there is value to that. There really is. It's people's attentions being brought back to a way of looking at the world that actually brings makes the world come alive. I would also say before we go that the, environment, the environmental movement can also take the, the same kind mm-hmm. of religious fervor because it is so much attached to the very, very real problem we have with climate change and trying to save the earth. It's very easy to get very, very, very religious. I use that kind of uh, religious language, uh, religious, spiritual, uh, we're going to have a fight about this, but anyway, too, because it is it is so connected to the earth and the earth is, you know, in every mythology, that's where it's what we're talking about. So um, so do you see that as well, that kind of fervor that takes over? And actually, you could do I, it about political I, systems, I, state, I, we I, could go right down. I, I do, and I think that this is actually, this connects everyone, because like Joseph Campbell said, and he used the example of belief and non-belief, uh, you know, as categories of thought, theism is is the belief in atheism is is you know the opposite of that, and that this is open to all people. That, that what we're talking about is actually something that is within us that everyone has access to, whatever that is, because it's it's part of the human experience, and uh, so you can have uh, a very fervent uh, atheist that worships at the throne of Sam Harris or Bill Maher. Oh, you're seeing this all the time. Jordan Peterson, you're getting all these people who are worshiping. They're just not saying it's worshiping. They take great exception, but they're behaving exactly in the same way. They will defend the hero. They will, they will go out there and, and, you know, hurt anybody that, or, you know, insult anybody that takes them on, even if it's on a a, a legitimate question. Absolutely. No, it's the same thing. So what you're seeing is that fervor being translating into places that are, and people that are frankly, sometimes really problematic as well. It's like you're losing your personal authority. So I would wrap it up by saying that Maybe what we're both talking about is the ability to retain that personal authority so that you mm, can mediate yes. your own experience. And you can just experience it. And then when you want to talk yeah. about it, you talk about it with whatever language resonates with you. For me, it might be a story because everything is a story for you. It might be musically. But the idea that someone is not no longer saying this actually is because you were connecting to the Virgin Mary or no, right. no, that's not. It's my experience. And you keep it and you transform it or talk about it or not talk about it. But it's your experience. So I think we agree in the end, right? Yeah. Thanks for listening. If you like Jay's music and would like to support the creation of more, follow the link to the GoFundMe page in the show notes. You can support my work by buying my new novel, Invocation, at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and through many booksellers across the world. For now, until next time. Your hand.